Blog Talk Radio. Slow down, touch your life. Don't you know there's friends to be found? Lift your eyes and see the world. Lift your eyes up. Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show, sponsored by Sunbury Press, publisher of books under nine different imprints in a variety of categories, available worldwide wherever books are sold. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, the founder of Sunbury Press, and today we have Maya Williamson, the author of Where the Tree Frogs Took Me. I'll tell you a little bit about that, then I'll introduce Maya. We are all looking for ways to make our lives meaningful and often turn to those in our inner circles and communities for the direction. But what if that sense of meaning and perspective comes from complete strangers? And what if those random encounters were not so random after all? This book shows us how to embrace the messages and subsequent lessons we receive from the different people, often complete strangers, that we meet while out there in the world. This collection of stories from over 20 years of travel shows what we can learn about the world we live in through greater empathy and understanding of the people we share it with. Each encounter we have, however sad, humorous, strange, or seemingly insignificant, is part of the journey we are all on. Where the tree frogs took me is for anyone who appreciates the diversity of the human experience and our reaction to it in all of its different forms. This book will resonate with people who are open to the notion of synchronicity and the significance of each encounter as meant to happen in order to create a change or shift in our lives. Maya Williamson has been an avid solo traveler for over 20 years and is interested in people as much as the places they inhabit. She prefers a backpack for all of her adventures and loves to climb mountains despite a crippling fear of heights. She teaches English as a second language in Ontario, Canada, where she lives with her young son. She's hoping he will inherit the same passion for adventure so that traveling the globe becomes a family affair. Maya Williamson, welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show. Hello, thank you very much. So I guess we find you in Canada today. Yes. I know it's winter. (laughs) How cold is it up that way? Uh, I'm pretty lucky. I mean, Canada as a whole is cold during the winter, obviously, but I'm in Windsor, Ontario, which is the most southern point of Canada. So comparatively speaking, we're not so bad. (laughs) Yeah, I think about Windsor. Like, how is that not part of the United States? Or how is Detroit not part of Canada? And I wonder how that all got worked out. We don't have to go into that. That's digressing, but <laughs> I often wonder <laughs> it, that. It's quite funny, though. We uh, People in Windsor get teased a lot because I think we're called the armpit of Canada, and it is a very Americanized city. Um, yeah. A lot of people in this area, we don't even tell the weather in Celsius. We tell it uh, in Fahrenheit, <laughs> similar to Americans. <laughs> Um, oh, growing shame. up, we didn't really, yeah, growing up, we didn't really have Canadian TV shows before cable was popular. So we always watched American shows and yeah, the cities are quite entwined for sure. Now what separates Windsor and Detroit? Is it a river? A uh, yeah, it's the Detroit river. Yeah. It's the Detroit okay. river. Um, and then getting over there's uh ambassador bridge or the tunnel. And I think they're building a new bridge uh, it's in the works. I don't think they've broken ground, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's just for the trucks because it's such a 
a busy border crossing. Wow. Well, I guess you're about as close to the United States as you can be without living in it. So. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. it's, I think it's a mile. I think it's a mile that separates um, wow. us by the river. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, welcome to the show. I know your Thank recent you. book is doing fairly well out there. I know we're getting some media attention to it, and great. that's great. Where the Tree Frogs Took Me. I know we struggled with the title, coming up with mm-hmm. a title that would, we were all happy with. And it's a very interesting title. Maybe you should tell us a little bit about how you settled on that. Okay. Um, Going through my chapters, each one is uh, named after a person um, or people or something that I met uh, throughout my traveling. And where the tree frogs took me, the tree frogs are actually uh, the title of the last chapter. I don't want to give away too much, but... um, the tree frogs, they're actually the only person or thing or animal that throughout my years of traveling, I didn't actually meet, but they were kind of the inspiration for all of my travels. Um, So I had actually gotten um, a National Geographic subscription from a friend in my early 20s, and there was articles and a a full spread on Borneo, uh, and I was kind of hooked after reading it, learning about the different animals and ecosystems and um, uh, different landscapes in Borneo, and the tree frogs were one of the things that kind of hooked me on that particular magazine, but it also traveling in general. Um, oddly enough, I didn't get to Borneo until about two years ago. Um, I was backpacking Asia and made the decision to go. So it really kind of, everything kind of came full circle in terms of my desire to travel and what pushed me to it. And for certain reasons, that was the most significant. So yeah, I definitely struggled with the title, but after kind of rejigging some things in the book and thinking about it a bit more in depth, it kind of made sense because the tree frogs, even though, you know, it's not a person I could meet and I actually never saw any while I was in Borneo, that's what kind of led me to my travel. So it, uh, it just mm-hmm. felt right to, to go with that. And it's catchy and people are confused. So <laughs> I yeah. thought it would yeah, work. Yeah, it's like, what, what, what is what were the trees? The trees took her yeah. away. I mean, the frogs took her <laughs> yeah. away. What's up with that? Yeah. Is this like a yeah, Gulliver sure. Travels kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you. I know what you mean, though. Uh, uh, the wife and I, and and the kids too, have been to Puerto Rico a bunch of times, and the little tree frogs mm. there, the coqui, have a very distinct sound that they make, and it's famous, and mm. they really honor mm-hmm. them there. And you know, it's a part of the whole experience that you remember. So, it's something yeah. you hear at night, and. Uh, yeah, very, very cool. So I, I, th- I think it was something about the idea of what the the versatility of tree rocks, the frogs, the fact that they can camouflage themselves and go into different environments and live this amazing life. And I think that I almost looked at that as a metaphor of what I wanted to do. So um, there's obviously lots of amazing animals in Borneo, orangutans and uh, things like that. But yeah, the tree frogs, I think, intrigued me the most for what they kind of signified and what I connected to myself. So it stuck. I think uh, it, the, one of the, well, many things struck me about your book and that's why we published it, but the overall sense of the synchronicity, the uh, just the sort of the accidental meaning of people, the serendipity of it mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. occurs 
you know, in my own travels, sometimes you just run into complete strangers and they turn out to be very interesting and wonderful people. And they just happen to be there at the right place at the right time when maybe you need a little assistance or maybe they did. Maybe they need mm-hmm. a little help from you. And so kind of give us a sense of that um, across your stories here. It seems to be sure. a common theme. Give us some examples. Sure. Um, I, I think I guess to to start the whole notion of synchronicity, I think people define it in different ways. It meant a lot to me because I noticed that through my traveling, when I would come back and you kind of recall memories, it was always people that stuck out. Yes, I like places and landscapes and, you know, going on safaris and all this uh, cool stuff. But for me, I always was left with a, an imprint or some sort of impression um, from somebody that I met. So every time I would recall memories, that's what stuck. And after a while, there was a couple incidences before I was kind of going with it in my head where I thought, well, how did I meet this person? Or why was this person there at the right place at the right time? And a lot of times I would end up making decisions of my life based off of some poignant meeting. Not all of them were great, um, but a lot of times they would really kind of change my perspective of thinking. And after a while, when this was happening so much, I thought maybe this is supposed to be this way. Um, one of the most poignant memories I think of is as my, my mother had passed away. I was living in South Korea teaching and I got a call in the middle of the night and it's, you know, it was my uncle and my aunt and they said, um, you know, my mom was on life support. Like they were just keeping her alive till I got home and she had had a battle of cancer and it, you know, was coming back and she was up and down and she eventually was down. So I had to leave in the middle of the night and pack my stuff and get to the airport two hours away. And it was really traumatic. Um, before my mom had passed, she had apparently said to my aunt, please go get her. Like, I don't want Maya to travel two days home by herself with all the different connections. And um, please don't let her travel alone. Well, there was no time. So when everything went down and she was nearing the end, the decision was made just for me to get home on my own. And so when I had gone to the airport, I ended up flying from Korea. I was at a layover in Japan and I was completely breaking down. Um, I was talking to a friend on the phone for a couple hours and was just losing it. And I really didn't think I could get on the plane again, get home. And out of the blue, this little lady came up to me um, her English was quite good. She was, I assume, Japanese, had been listening to my whole conversation and just hugged me. And I remember thinking, I don't think I could have got home without her. And so yeah. something like that, a lot of those experiences, again, not always so sad or about something so uh, serious, but I think about this woman all the time. And I think that that helped me get home. Maybe she was supposed to be there. I don't know. Um so a lot of those types of experience, I've experiences I've kind of just ran with it. And me, I, as a collective, I think maybe this is what was supposed to happen, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, very interesting. I know I had a, sort of an experience where I was the one who was the comfort for somebody else and on a very difficult ah. flight in a, in a thunderstorm and terrible turbulence. And this lady, this older lady was sitting next to me and she was gasping and very oh, upset, wow. uh, almost concerned she was, you know, going to be ill, and and she mm. asked if she could hold my arm, and I said yes. Mm. And she said she said to me, "How can you be so calm?" And I said, mm. "Ma'am, 
I said, the pilot up there in the cabin wants to get this plane on the ground just as much as you or I. No he's doubt. He's going to do mm-hmm. his best. And I promise you, in just a few minutes, we're going to be landing and everything's going to be fine. And <laughs> that's what I was telling myself. And I have a, a way of being calm under pressure. I guess no matter what kind of evil thoughts are circulating in my mind, but that was exactly what she needed to hear. And Mm -hmm. she thanked me. I never knew who she was, never met her again, never kept in touch. But here I am talking about her 30 years later. Yeah, there you go. And the beauty of it is that maybe she's reflected about you, right? Right. That maybe your name has come up or your, you know, image or uh, the story about you has come up in conversation. And to me, that, the beauty, I guess, of, of meeting people and the, as you know, you had read the human experience. I've had a couple, I think there's three chapters in the book that deal with people I meet on planes and you're stuck. It's, you know, you're stuck with this person uh, for however many hours you can choose to ignore each other, which sometimes is better, but what a, what an interesting meeting if you're kind of forced to meet somebody that has a totally different circumstance than you and what you can find out and potentially the impression you can have on someone else. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it's like that ripple in a pond metaphor. Yeah. Talk that yep. little stone in and you never know where those waves are going to go or where they're going to touch. But uh, yeah. yeah, it'd be wonderful if everybody in life did little things like that from time to time. And uh, maybe the world would be a better place. But for Oh, for sure. Yeah. Now, you, you've been quite the globetrotter, so we have to talk about your travels here before we get okay. too far into the show. I don't want to lose, you know, burn all the time uh, on all these other topics, but just, just generally about some of the, the places you've been. So from, from Ontario, what would be the farthest yep. you've, you've gone? Uh, well, I've been to Africa numerous times, and I've done six countries in Africa, and I think I've done probably a couple more within Asia. So... You know, I haven't made it as far to Australia yet. Uh, that's on the list. Um, but, yeah, I've done a few countries around South America, uh, Asia, Europe, of course, and Africa. So I guess if we count the miles or kilometers, it would be the farthest, yeah. Wow. So you've crossed the Pacific. You've crossed the Atlantic. Yep. <laughs> Have you ever crossed yep. the Indian Ocean? Uh, not yet. No, no, it's on the list. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that would be an extra hop. So I was just curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, interesting. What's uh, what would you say is your favorite place you've you've gone? Maybe maybe you didn't know it was going to be your favorite, but is there one place yeah. in particular that stands out? It's hard to say because for different reasons, I have probably a dozen places. If I had to pull one out of a hat, I would. I'd probably say Tanzania. Um, I have been there five times. And initially went kind of on a whim to do some volunteering, fell in love with a a school that I was volunteering at and kind of made it a part of my life. So I was going back uh, each year. I think I went back twice in one year. And obviously, culturally, it's so amazing and and different. Um, And I made a lot of really strong friendships and connections. But then I think, you know, of, of places where I didn't have the same type of relationships, if I think of South America, I absolutely loved Colombia for a lot of different reasons, and Bolivia. So I've probably got a top five, um, but if I had to choose, I'd probably say Tanzania for sure. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. I would. That wouldn't even come to mind. I've never been there. Don't know anything <laughs> about it. But that oh, that's got me amazing. intrigued now. 
So mm-hmm. any places you'd recommend avoiding or they all have their merits? I think they all have their merits. You know, I, I think one thing that always strikes me when I mention that I travel to certain places or when people ask me where, when I say something like Africa, they say, oh, the violence. And I think, you know, the media tells us to be worried about certain places. And I, I think we definitely have to. But if I think of my travels, I guess irony, I don't know if that's what it is, but the only time I ever saw a lot of violence was in England. <laughs> I was on a bus and I saw a big fight. And I mean, it was kind of random, but we tell ourselves to be afraid of certain places when it could be the most unlikely place with the, um, you know, people think are so friendly or kind and anything can happen anywhere. Um, I love Africa. I've, I've traveled solo by bus to four different countries. Um, you have to keep your wits about yourself, especially as a, a female traveler traveling solo. But I think that, you know, violence or sticky predicaments can happen anywhere. And uh, I certainly wouldn't label any place as, oh, this is a place to stay away from. Um, there are definitely challenges. I found Morocco very challenging. Um, and I speak a little bit of French, so I was able to communicate uh, with respect to local, uh, one of the local languages. But I found it challenging for other reasons. And but that isn't to say I would tell somebody not to go. I think, you know, you have to prepare for certain things in certain countries, things to do with culture and language. Um, but, yeah, I, I think any country can turn out amazing or not, depending on how you behave and interact with locals, what positions you put yourself in or you try to avoid. And a lot of them can be amazing. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the UK is the only place you experience violence, and I was reflecting on that, thinking, okay, my travels, and I don't, I'm not as well traveled as you, by any stretch, mostly Europe and the Caribbean, that kind of thing, uh, Mexico, mm-hmm. across the U.S. But the most violent place <laughs> I recall was we were stuck on the tarmac at Heathrow in the UK because the IRA was threatening to bomb the airport. Nothing was moving and they were, yeah. So that was the UK. So interesting, very interesting that you mentioned (laughs) the UK. (laughs) But it's a bloody nice place. (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. (laughs) I have to ask you about food. I'm, I'm a foodie. I like, uh, like to experience different uh, cuisine as I travel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've mentioned some very diverse, far-flung places. <laughs> Have you had any surprises that were culinary? Um, I'm not really adventurous when it comes to food. Uh, I'm certainly not a vegetarian in any way, but I'm really skeptical of eating meat in certain places. However, interestingly enough, I've found myself eating different things. I have no idea how because there's so many quote-unquote regular things in our culture I won't try um but I've eaten I ate um uh, guinea pig in Peru which wasn't great but it wasn't horrible um I guess a lot of people say oh it tastes like chicken it did not um but I ate it it's a local delicacy guinea pig is quite popular excuse me um if you go to a market like an outdoor market, you'll see guinea pigs in little pens the same way I guess we would see chickens oh. or something like that. It's it's kind of sad because they're adorable. Um, yeah. But I also don't want to be a hypocrite because in my culture, we eat chickens and we cow and pig. And in other cultures, some people find that offensive. So I really try right. to go in with an open mind 
that it's so easy for me to say, oh my gosh, how could they eat guinea pig? Well, some people are offended that I eat bacon. So, you know, I think I try to put myself in the position of locals and some things I've refused to try, but um, other things I've been a bit more open to. I tried llama uh, in Bolivia. Um, in Tanzania, I uh, tried goat, which isn't as uncommon uh, as the other uh, dishes, but I drank goat blood <laughs> from wow. a, a goat was sacrificed at a, a ceremony with um, Maasai, which is like a nomadic group that lives predominantly in Tanzania or Kenya. And I was taken to a little village along with some other uh, volunteers. And to kind of honor us being there, they had slaughtered a goat right in front of us. Then they uh, drained the blood from the neck into a cup. The men, the Maasai men, drink it. I think it's um, kind of a, a sign of virility or honor. And then it was offered to us. I think there was about 10 volunteers. I think there were three of us. I have no idea why I took that cup, but I drank it. <laughs> um, so that was probably the most what-am-I-doing experience I don't know if that's food or it's culinary. So uh, that yeah. kind of, that kind so of that. gets into the next question and more about culture and, <laughs> and religion, that kind of thing as you're traveling, you know, rituals. Uh, I'm just curious about what was the most fascinating culture different from ours that, that you, you really were surprised or fascinated by. I think Tanzania for sure, um, because I had the opportunity to uh, meet uh, a group of Maasai. Um, they did these really interesting brandings. A lot of times they do them on their face, the kind of concentric circles, or they do lines and little cuts. Again, I opted to have a branding on my arm. Why? I don't know. Uh, but it was offered to me, and I thought, I, I don't want to lose this opportunity. So to this day, I have these two huge circles on my arm. That I can, when I'm talking, because I, I teach, so when I talk and my arms are flailing around, I can sometimes see students, their eyes are not looking at me, they're looking at my arm, because they're like, what the heck is that? A lot of times people assume there's some kind of crazy vaccine shot or something. Um, but yeah, I think in general in Tanzania, and it wasn't just the Maasai, it was learning things that people do differently. Uh, I'm left-handed. And in certain parts of the world, that is even odd, or I don't want to say not accepted, but you just don't meet people that are left-handed. So I had to get in the habit of passing things to people with my right hand, to giving a gift, not putting it in my left hand, or else some people may not accept it. Um, little things like that, where we take that for granted, you don't really think about it, um, was pretty interesting. And I mean... I think a lot of different cultures have some unique aspects to it. Tanzania, maybe because I spent a fair bit of time there on numerous trips, doing a lot of things with locals. Um, yes, I did some touristy things there, but I spent a lot of time living with Tanzanians, like in their communities. So, um, yeah, I'd have to say Tanzania. Well, I, I don't know anybody else who's been to Tanzania that I know of, and certainly no, <laughs> no one that's drank goat blood and been uh, branded. So I guess you could say what happens in Tanzania stays in Tanzania. Believe it or not, we're down to about six minutes. So we are running out okay. of time here. Okay. Um, 
I just had a, another quick question for you about your travels, and then I was going to ask mm-hmm. you about what you're, what else you're doing. Um, okay. Obviously, as a as a woman traveling solo, I can imagine uh, the risk, especially in certain parts of the world. Had, have you had any Definitely. issues with that ever? Certainly, um, yes. Variety of countries. Um, I think you get targeted. You know, the the basic cat calls and things like that. But Morocco was one place I had mentioned earlier. I was really nervous in certain uh, uh, places in Morocco, sitting in a train cart um, with four men. They're all speaking at me, trying to get me to kind of come with them and, oh, they'll help me here and do this and do that. Um, yeah, definitely I've had some instances where I thought, okay, I've got to take extra precautions. Um, I've kind of made it to a rule that if I'm, you know, I like to have some drinks and when I go out at night, you know, things that I do in my own country, I don't leave a drink unattended, but I'm, I'm extra careful. I try to get a a hostel or a Mm -hmm. hotel, you know, in a, in a populated area. Um, a lot of times I say that I'm meeting a boyfriend or a husband. I can't tell you how many times I've said, Oh, I'm waiting for my husband waiting for my boyfriend. I always say his name is George Clooney, which I find funny and no one else gets. So I always say I'm waiting for my husband, George Clooney. He'll be here any minute. Um, and I've actually been caught a few times. I was in, I think, Poland, and I had said that to this guy, and I ran into him an hour later, and he said, where's George? I said, oh, he's running late. He's on his way. Then I ran into him the next day. He said, George, still not here. I was like, no, he's on his way. He's on a, but mo- I think, he's on a movie set. Yeah. 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 But I think we have to be uh, extra careful, whether we like it or not. Um, we live in a world where oftentimes women don't have the same rights or privileges. And being a Western woman, I can say I deserve that and I have that in my own country. Well, that's not the way it is in other countries. And as well, much as I don't agree with it, you accept it and move on and, and be careful, I guess. I have two daughters and a stepdaughter and a granddaughter, and my two daughters are traveling quite a bit. And my eldest daughter, who was an exchange student to Spain this year, went over to Morocco. And when she sent me some pictures that she was there, I had an OMG moment, <laughs> more uh, like a WTF yeah. moment. <laughs> yeah. like, what are you doing? <laughs> Got to be careful over yeah. there. That's a different culture, and yeah. a religion might you know, have some expectations sure. regarding what you're wearing and so on and so forth. So she's but, like, I'm fine. I'm with the group. Yeah. Yeah. She, but I think it's something like group. what you're wearing. You know, I don't dress provocatively at all anyways, but if I want to wear a tank top and I'm in a hot country, well, guess what? I don't. Because if I'm somewhere where I know that that's frowned upon, as much as I have a right to do that in my country and in these countries, you're going to get un- unwanted attention. doesn't make it fair, but you make the call. So I think that's an interesting point but something like dressing modestly uh, I try to wear sunglasses all the time so no one sees that I'm making eye contact with them because sometimes right. just making that eye contact that gives you know some man a license to come up and you know try to say and do whatever so I think yeah dress is definitely one thing like it or not I mean I'm not going to wear a parka but at the same time if a, a tank top with spaghetti straps is going to cool me off or get unwanted attention, well, I'll opt for a t-shirt. You know, I'm going to wear shorts down to my knees as opposed to up. So um, I think we can't deny that that stuff will help if you kind of go along with local customs or cultures. Maya, we have just a couple minutes. Give me a minute on, just one minute on what you're working on now, Sure. if anything. 
Well, um, my book has just been released, so I'm kind of still getting through the buzz of that. Um, I'm working very much to myself. Uh, I would love to try to write fiction. Uh, obviously, this book um, is nonfiction and is about my own life, but I'm just in the initial stage, stages of kind of writing and brainstorming and thinking up a few different stories in my head. I have no idea where it's going to go, but um, I've got a bit more confidence in, in publishing this book that I can try something different. And I hope it comes to fruition and we'll see how it goes. But yeah, so that's kind of where where I'm at. I have a travel blog that I've neglected. Um, and since this book, I've um, revamped it a bit or had it revamped. So I'm hoping to get back into that also. Um, and start putting out uh, pieces shortly. Um, and I'd like to get back into traveling. I've taken a little bit of a hiatus since uh, having my son, and he's almost five, so I'm really hoping to get him traveling soon, and that will give me more stories to write about. All right. Looking forward to it. We've been talking Wonderful. to Maya Williamson, the author of Where the Tree Frogs Took Me. Maya, thank you for joining us today from Chile, Windsor, Canada. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. To have you on again. All right. That's all Thank for today. You. We'll see you again on the Sunbury Press Book Show on the Book Speak Network. Mm-hmm.